I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Josh Duick. He suffered from a severed spinal column. Let's talk about it. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Just hold on tight. Press. It's going to be a real bumpy coddle, ride. Coddle the shaft. Uh, ooh, ooh. Stop that oh, Those two words together... Coddles are real. Make real. me feel. Yeah. Coddles oh. a powerful word if you think about it, right? It's mm. warm. It's inviting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think God. the same thing. Oh God, guys. <laughs> uh, God. Okay, so it is early, um, but uh, we got coffee on the go, and Josh, you made it. I did. You wheeled right up. You know what I'm saying? You you uh, you are in a wheelchair. I think that's that's the primary thing that people can't see. Uh, that probably uh, is an important note to uh, to touch on. So why don't you tell us why? Why? Um, I wasn't born this way. It was uh, an accident that I self-inflicted, not intentionally, <clears throat> um, back in 2004. I was coaching a group of kids, and uh, I suppose my role was to lead by example, and I wasn't doing a very good job of that, and uh, ended up coming into a ski jump real quick, too fast, and... Um, overshot the landing hill that I was aiming for and over-rotated a front flip, which had me land on my chest, uh, dislocate my back, and in, in the process, severing my spinal cord. Wow. Oh, Severed? Yeah. Wow. Holy um, shit. At what, uh, at where along the spine was it severed? Uh, T11, T12. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. It's kind of like middle of the road. Uh, I've got no sensation, no movement below my pelvis. Okay. Man, oh man, wow. Below your pelvis, but you do have pelvic movement. Yeah, well, yes, I can move my pelvis, but it is a, a byproduct of muscle movement through my core. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah, sure. I think, I think the big question here would be, is your, does your dick still work? Uh, that was, I, it, yeah. it is, seriously, it is a big question. And <laughs> at first, it was probably like the most common question when I was in the hospital, and certainly the one that I asked the most. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, just tell me if it works. Just come back. <laughs> just kidding. Um, and in, in a way. So, uh, lack of sensation, you know, that's a huge difference. Um, which kind of like when you get circumcised at a later date, that's what people say that you lose sensation around the tip. But I'm guessing it's probably much more lack of sensation. I don't know, that. and I yeah. haven't heard that about late life circumcision. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, that one's self induced. Uh, I yeah. got less sympathy for that. Uh, yeah, uh, tell me about it, Jeremy. Actually, <laughs> Jeremy was actually circumcised at 16 years I was, old. I was, but was you know, it a locker room thing? Uh, no, getting mocked no. for having a toot by all the boys. No, I, you know what? My uh, my turtleneck just wasn't loose enough, so I uh, couldn't actually slide my. <laughs> Slide my head oh, out of God. the sheath. <laughs> wow, this is, uh, we're getting after it. So the long oh, and yeah. short of it is, yeah, um, yeah well, it's thanks just to short. modern science. <laughs> what are we talking about, boy? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so thanks to modern science, via Viagra, Cialis, that jazz, I'm able to get the blood flowing down there, which okay. is great. So okay. um, it's different, and I, it, at first, super frustrating, right? Like, yeah. That is by far the least talked about yeah. and the most difficult part of the spinal cord injury that I have. Yeah. Well, every, every spinal cord injury is, is different. So, you know, you ask somebody and like, oh, yeah, fully functioning and, and all good. And other people, you know, might just completely turtle away from the question. Honestly, mm. I'm not super comfortable about it, but it's a good question. It's an important one to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks to modern science, I'm able to. And now the lack of sensation and ejaculation has been like, fuck. Well, so that like super, I, super mind bogglingly difficult and, and like, like to actually much. climax is hard. Is that, is that what you mean by that? Like what you, lack of sensation means, you know, it's a different climax. So yeah, right. Kind of, I, I haven't followed the, the Tantra, the Kama Sutra like closely, right. but ultimately um, my connection is now much deeper, more energetic. So um, I've had to grow up in terms of my relationship with sex and, uh, my approach to it. So mm-hmm. at first, you know, when I was, you know, I was 23, so I was a baboon when I was, you know, going to pound town. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just like super primal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was good, man. I'm glad that I had to, you know, I, I had a chance to experience that. Yeah. Um, now it's just like, it's a lot more intimate and close and I've yeah. been super fortunate to have an amazing partner for a long time. So we've explored a lot of different things and um, you can't compare apples and oranges, uh, but if I was to, I'd say it's better now because it's much deeper, much yeah. more intimate. Yeah, and, that's super powerful, uh, I think. Yeah, so but it was not an easy road. Like it was, um, it was I, devastating at first. Just like, are you fucking? Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, because how old were you when when the accident happened? Twenty three. Twenty. So you were twenty three. Okay, yeah. yeah, and that's that is like that's a time where. You know, that's that prime. It's, it's it prime. is prime time, and that's yeah. uh, that would be super super challenging. I can't even imagine. Um, and how old are you now? Thirty five. Okay. Oh wow. So it's been it's been a while. Well over over ten years. Yeah. Okay. I, have you ever seen the movie um, Murderball? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, God, that's like that one movie. of my favorite documentaries so that I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, and I, and the reason why I asked the question in the first place is because I remember. One of the guys gets asked that question in the documentary, and he's like, he's kind of like has that like machoism kind of mentality. He's like, of course it fucking works. Like I'm fucking all the time, type of thing. Mm. And and I always wonder, like, is it is there that that kind of spectrum of like for some people it it's okay, and some people it they struggle Ooh. to like you know I've, have actually, any I've never seen one of my buddies that has a spinal cord injury go to town so I can only go based <laughs> upon their experience <laughs> or, or, or what they're telling me um, but for sure it varies yeah I think yeah, it absolutely it varies yeah. so um, kind of like a snowflake there's no two that are alike right. and that is the story and um, mm. you know not many guys are willing to talk about the loss but mm. most of them are willing to talk well yeah it still kicks ass I'm like yeah, no yeah. way yeah, I'm like, right. you're so lucky. Like that's it's just so different. And mm-hmm. I, I need to actually move away from the mindset of you're so lucky because it's just it's just different, you know. This is the lesson that I was given in life. And if I sit on it and shit on it and like, oh poor me, I'm, yeah. just, I'm not lucky. I, somebody really doesn't like it's like, okay, well, whatever. It is what it is. And luckily I've been able to work <laughs> through it, right? If I didn't have an amazing partner, I might not have had as many opportunities to explore yeah. and grow mm-hmm. and learn and move beyond what I ever thought sex well, could be. Do you think that, um, do you think that uh, you know, saying that this is like a, something that you're not entirely comfortable with, but it is a good question to ask and something to talk about? And, I mean, usually that's something that we kind of, uh, that kind of comes usually just 
by the nature of things comes later on in the show when we talk about yeah. when we yeah. talk about yeah. like what you end up being a little grateful for in the end like when you can look back in hindsight and go you know it actually gave me this ability to have these intimate relationships um do you think and in the kind of the same vein as the conversation we had with connor beaton about um about like masculinity in today's world um do you think that there is some people not to get away from your story but some people in the in the uh like spinal cord injury uh community that that are just putting on a a lie to 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 like satisfy what they th- what they think is the idea of like keeping masculinity or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't narrow it down to the spinal cord injury community. I, that's a human. I was going to say that's just yeah, a, sure. yeah, like, a human thing. I, a human we, we thing, all but in the way like, that <clears throat> I think everybody compensates in a way, or most people do. I don't think there's too many enlightened beings on the planet right now that aren't trying to compensate for some neurosis or some perceived lack of, of a social Ooh. norm, a social standard. Um, there's probably not a ton of guys that look at themselves in the mirror naked and they're like, I'm fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. They're probably like, oh, I wish I was a little <clears throat> bit taller. I, I wish I was a little bit bigger or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wonder, actually, like I look closely in some of my friends' eyes when they're telling me their glory stories and I'm like, right. Cool, man. Like, good for you. That's that's all I can say. I'm not going to challenge their authority or their mm. experience because they might actually be 100% functioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but my understanding of spinal cord injuries is, you know, there's deficits that come along with it. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's like to, to and, and if they're, and in just in relation, I, and I didn't mean to narrow it down mm. to people with spinal cord injuries, but in that, in that community of people that could have that difficulty as a result of whatever their accident was that, or whatever led to a spinal cord injury, you know, to, to promote that openness and that ability to, to talk and to be okay with Ooh. something that's really fucking hard, which is it's sexuality changing. Yeah. Completely. And because it's funny because Taylor, like, or Brian, you, that was the first <laughs> question that you asked, which is so oddly, it, it's funny that you asked that first. Like I, we, like Taylor said, we don't usually get into like, that deep of a of a question or that like sort of intrusive of a question right off the bat. I like um, Josh. I feel but, like I feel like yeah, I can talk to him. <laughs> totally, absolutely. But but the thing is that that is undoubtedly one of the things that automatically comes up when you say when someone says to you, "I have no feeling from the pelvis down." It's like, oh my god. Well, then what? Like, what about your like? What about your plumbing? Like, does that does it affect that? Um, but coming back to the you know you you said it took a while to to. And, and, you know, we can move on from this at any point, but I, I am really curious to know that uh, about the process of coming back into um, um, a point in your life where you felt like you could start to explore your, like that, the, the side of intimacy in, in, in terms of relationships, like h- how much of a struggle was that? going from the hospital bed, like, you know, kind of realizing, okay, now I have no function in my legs uh, or from my pelvis down to being like, okay, I'm going to, I'm actually going to like be intimate with, with someone else for, you know, the first or one of the first times. Was that like, it was a priority. It yeah. was like one of the first things. One I of the to first, do. yeah. And and I had a really great crew of friends around me. So of course that was a hot topic, you know, does it work? Can you, can you and all that? And of course, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, I had a girl come into my life right at the time of my accident. I knew her before, but uh, she came back in, so I was pretty hot for her and really wanted to explore that part. 
and we're both young, so curious. And um, so I had a playmate, somebody to hang out with, mm. and, and um, she was very open. So yeah. there's no judgment. And, of course, it just is what it is. So there is a, a certain disconnect from um, the personal aspect of it. It's like it's a spinal cord injury. You know, it's, um, it's part of my life now, and this is what we get mm. to deal with. So I was not as connected to it, but super motivated to try and overcome that obstacle. Mm. Uh, and it did take years. You know, it's taken a long time to get to a place where I found the right dosage of prophylactic or whatever you call um, your enhancement. Y- yeah. Blood down there. Yeah. Uh, and there was times I was in the emergency room and way too hard, way too long. Whoa, yeah. Really? yeah. I've a, heard of that. You're not a priority. You just like, you go there and you're like looking at the receptionist, like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, <laughs> I'm super hard right now. Yeah. <laughs> and she's and like, it's Sir. not just you. <laughs> I cannot and, get rid of this boner. That's like, what a fucking like back of the line. I'm like, you know, it's been four hours already. Oh, and dude, this that is a big thing. So and I do awful. not want gangrene. I do not like yeah. the shit's already compromised. I don't want it to fall off. Is that know? a, is that a possibility when you, uh, they say they say well I don't know they say after four hours the the lack of blood circulation will kill all the cells in there. Oh, so whether it's gangrene or not, I don't know. But it's like how do a, they, how a pretty do... big red X on don't let it last that much longer. Wow, here's Dude. the trick that nobody told me that I just kind of stumbled into: antihistamine. Oh. Oh. oh, take an allergy medicine. It's it's the anti venom. Interesting. So you know I can chalk up and make sure that like I'm not like running half tank or three quarter tank. Like I'm running full throttle. And if it feels like it's too much, just pop a couple of uh, that's it, right? Benadryl you know, and you're like good. We, we do our thing, and then <gasps> I exactly very and interesting, that, and, and then you bed. go right to sleep. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. As that's usual. super cool. That's a that that's cool. Like, yeah, so anybody listening that. that's having a challenge with that, you know, yeah. explore that. You know, talk to your sexual health clinician. Don't yeah. take me as an authority. Yeah, um, of course. But wow, you know, like, <clears throat> it made all the difference in the world. So mm-hmm. like now, there's a consistency with that variable. Mm-hmm. So we have an opportunity to explore every other aspect of sexuality and intimacy. That's great. That's yeah. super cool. Totally. I, Rather than just kind of like, shit, did I overdose today? Like, yeah. are we going to have this? And it's sitting in the back of my mind. And then are we going to just hang out in the emergency room and be kind of disregarded by the, the receptionist? And I'm, yeah. I'm literally freaking out. I'm like, I do not yeah. want to lose any more than I've lost. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, fortunately, you know, I have gone over the four hour mark and it's incredibly stressful. Yeah. And probably um, not that comfortable either. Like, I, I feel like it would probably after that amount of time, it must like just start. No, there's it's, it's, you know, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> um, maybe, no, no. <laughs> I'm just like, let's just keep going. Uh, well, it's a big deal. Well, <laughs> Well, let, yeah. let's let's come back yeah. to. Um, I, <laughs> I, I ways to start. I know. I love that we spent that time you know, and I, on that I, I topic. I want to touch on that. Like, I really appreciate your willingness to go there right away and your mm-hmm. curiosity because it is an important question. It's a question that clearly uh, makes me uncomfortable and probably a lot of people uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay to be uncomfortable, um, and it it shows me kind of where you guys are coming from as well. Your willingness to be honest and transparent. Um, that's huge for me. So mm. cool. Yeah. Know, props. Yeah. So yeah. question yeah. for, um, hitting me with a hard one. If, <laughs> it's all, uh, it's all downhill from no here. <laughs> um, uh, before the coffee really kicks in, um, rain has a chance to be like, shit, what are you doing? <laughs> Dick. We get a call from your publicist. Like, do not put that out. Do not put that out. Um, coming back to the, to the, the incident, um, that, you know, that started all this for you. Um, you, you were, 
you were coaching at the time. Like, were you, were you, was it like a day of coaching? You had some some of your um, like students with you. Is that I did? Yeah. So skiing's been a huge part of my life for a long time, and I retired from being a competitive freestyle skier. I want to say like 2001 or 2002 and got into coaching right away because I wasn't willing to give up on the dream of being a skier mm-hmm. and it seemed like a natural progression for me and started it loved it and found that actually that was likely the path that I was meant to be on you know I've always just wanted to be in the mountains move around in the mountains and at whatever capacity really satisfied my soul so mm-hmm. coaching really enhanced that experience I was doing everything that I wanted to do and providing a service and, and giving what I love mm-hmm. freely um, however, you know, I, I've, uh, adopted many insecurities in my life and, and, uh, one of my coping mechanisms has always been to prove myself. Uh, right. so I never like a, a very talented athlete. Um, I didn't really have a lot of style, but one thing that I prided myself in is having cojones and just sending it. Um, so coaching the kids, you know, there's a certain process that you need to go through in terms of like safety check. And I always enforce that with the kids, like boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, make sure you go up there and you slip the in run, you do a speed check, you do a warm up jump, and then you go send it. And mm-hmm. uh, I was just in a bit of a rush and kind of bypassed a couple of the steps along the way. And and how old are, how old are the, the kids that you're coaching at this time? Uh, kind of like nine to fifteen was the general range. It's pretty young. Oh yeah. And and I'm I'm assuming that when you like when you overshot that jump, when you landed on your was it your your on my chest. your chest, um, clearly that wasn't supposed to happen. And I, uh, just to th- paint a picture for you, the the feature of the jump is about fifteen feet tall. Yeah. So it's kind of an average size jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about fifty feet back from the beginning of the landing hill. Um, so it was, it was large enough, but nothing spectacular. Right. Um, the landing hill is really steep cause it's a traditional <laughs> aerial site. So it's it, like a really steep pitch to it to absorb all your energy on landing. Right. So it's like yeah. low impact or if you crash, um, the slope absorbs <laughs> a lot of that rather than your body against a flat surface. Yeah. Um, so with that, you know, it's not easy to overshoot, but it's possible. And yeah. if you do overshoot it. It's uh, a dramatic fall. You it's know, they, bad. they did the metrics on it after. Well, 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 I was in the hospital. They did an accident investigation, and they just did a quick graph, and they saw the the trajectory that I was on, and I was um, at peak height, about a hundred feet from impact. So you got to imagine the force Holy of shit. dropping off a ten-story building onto your chest. Yeah. Oh. Now I I, I got Jesus. I can't even imagine like the sound like. Well, I can relate in the in in a, in a small way. I'm I'm in no way the the at, at the level of of jumping that you have been, but I've I snowboard and uh, and I, I really really identify with the idea of not really having a whole lot of style or a whole lot of talent, but being like fuck it. Brian yep. Brian can attest to that. And uh, I went to I've been I went to Whistler once, and I I can I'm I'm relating in the way that I've. I've overshot a jump and and everything slowing down in my mind when I realize that I'm that I've overshot it in air and just thinking oh, and going fuck. oh fuck my legs are going to break when yeah, I hit you the overshot air. like a 10 footer like oh yeah distance sorry <laughs> like you were jumping like 10 feet yeah yeah like <laughs> yeah the the distance is much smaller but I, like, I, yeah, I, I get what you're, no no I get what you're saying in that in that you can relate to the the feeling but but what I want to know just is giving that you a hard time what I, what yeah, I'm suck it what, what I'm really curious about is to know 
Um, what was, and maybe you don't know this, and maybe it was something that you were told afterwards because I can't imagine you were really super aware of what was going on like moments after that. But um, um, what, like, what was the reaction of the kids? Like, did they see it? And did they, did they, I guess, did they realize like how fucked up that was right in the moment? Or was it kind of like, ooh, Josh no, fucked up? I think uh, even before Impact, everybody knew it was going to be real bad. Like, oh. they're calling Code Red before I'm on snow oh wow you, know, you can just tell by yeah. my trajectory that it's it's gone sideways in a bad way did you know right away i knew before you knew before you took off yeah and that's kind of where i was going with that whole insecurity bit is um i i have gotten really good at not listening to my body mm-hmm. or listening and ignoring <laughs> like you had like you feel- i had a, a full you had, feeling you had, had a full body feeling and did you have an opportunity to bail out yep and i've bypassed that many times and I wouldn't say I'm quite as resilient as Gumby, but uh, <laughs> I've gotten pretty good at crashing and taking my hits. So this was another kick at the can. Like I, I knew it was going to be bad, but it wasn't enough for me to to abort. Yeah, and, and in in hindsight, uh, obviously being 2020, is that is that something that you've been able to efficiently deal with, or is that a point of reflection that kind of nags at you? Uh, the moment of is definitely a point of reflection. I've contemplated it a lot, and I think on a conscious level, yeah, I've I've probably worked through it pretty well. Yeah. Um, on a subconscious and unconscious level, I'm sure shit's heavy down there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just haven't been able to um, to go there or to uh, to effectively work through it yet. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure when my body's ready and the time is right, I'll be able to explore that. But it was a heavy impact on so many ways. You know, physically, I broke my body. Yeah. Um, emotionally, everything changed. You know, yeah. we discussed one of the um, <clears throat> least talked about but probably most impactful deficits of a spinal cord injury for me is um, the loss of sensation below the waist. Um, and then I, the biggest thing and the most obvious thing for me, and, and this is where you're going, Jer, is the impact on the kids, right? Like, yeah. So I land, boom. Um, I'm knocked unconscious. A few minutes later, I wake up. And mm. I'm, I'm on the ground and I'm laying there and it's just a, a surreal feeling. Like I can't move and I can't feel anything. And my mind is like, oh, this is very strange. And it was almost like I had cellophane wrap on me and I was being pinned onto the snow. There's no pain, like no noticeable pain? No acute pain whatsoever, right? Because I had completely severed the spinal cord, which meant paralysis. Like it just, there was no sensation. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Now is your, I know that you are, um, you know, you said, you, you, like I'm sitting watching you right here, our listeners can't see you, but your arms move, your neck moves, your shoulders move. Good point. Is Good there point, any right? of that while you're laying on the ground? Like can you? No, I'm moving my hands, I'm moving my upper okay. body. Well, I'm not moving my upper body, I'm laid out. No. I, I couldn't. But there is. Yeah, I couldn't you, do a sit up. That was a big thing. Like I couldn't sit up. Yeah. Um, okay. Even if I wanted to, so that was pretty apparent right away. <sighs> um, and uh, of course, I think the the energetic and emotional impact of my crash radiated all around. Yeah. Right. You know, the kids are huddled around, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Like just no in, one knows in what awe to say. And shock of, yeah. of the impact and. They uh, they saw my body fold in a way that it shouldn't, right? Like I did a full scorpion at T11, so above my pelvis, oh. and I just cut right into two. Wow! Um, so that disintegrated my T11 vertebrae where it hinged, and um, wow! So oh. now I'm just I'm laying there, and and I see, <clears throat> and I can feel the tension in the group, and I'm like, oh, 
have really, I've really seriously blown it. And the gravity of the physical impact on my body just disappeared. Even though that is actually one of my greatest fears, I've never feared death. But paralysis was something I'd, I'd much rather be dead than yeah. be in a wheelchair. And uh, I had that realization reinforced two days before my back. I saw a kid in the, the liquor store grabbing a case, doing the exact same thing I was doing. Uh, I couldn't look at him. I, you know, I, in hindsight, I took away his dignity by not being able to look at him. I like I saw him and I looked away and my eyes darted and I became very uncomfortable in his presence. You mean he was in a he, he was, was in a wheelchair? wheelchair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, I left the liquor store and I'm just like, if I ever end up in a situation like that, pull the trigger. Uh, no, I was going to park in front of a train so my parents didn't feel too bad, like I just stalled out or something like that, and the yeah, train ran yeah. me over. Yeah. Holy um, fuck. So yeah, so I'm laying on the snow and that actually disappears quickly because I have the emotional effect of uh, these kids that are like. Uh, what the shit just happened here? And one quick question: Is there is it just them, or is there any other like adult or like? There's like, parents. There's volunteers. We're actually oh. um in the beginning stages. It was like day one of official training for the Canadian Junior Nationals. Oh, so we have teams fuck. from all over the country arriving. We were actually taking advantage of home field play. Um, so it was mostly. Our kids from the Silver Star Freestyle Club, yeah. but it wasn't exclusive. There was kids from Alberta that were rolling in. There right. was parents. There's one of my mentors there, and this is a part of the story that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Um, one of my like great friends, um, an amazing aerials coach, uh, and if you're out there, Woody, I'm fucking so sorry that I just never listened. He's like, whatever you do, don't do a front flip off the jump, and I did a front flip. And why, and why, did, like, why did he say that? Is just because the, the, the risk the is... No, the trajectory uh, of the ramp and the speed of the snow. And when you do a front flip, you give yourself way more forward trajectory. Right. So if I was to do a straight air, 360, 720 backflip, I'm going to go up more and then come down quicker. Right. It sort of slows you down. Flip, you do, well, no, it doesn't just slow you down. But like when you punch a front flip, you're pushing forward. Yeah. So you're going to go 30% further every time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. I meant like a backflip. Like there's almost like the... the it's, a, it's backwards momentum, right? So yeah. you're not going to go quite as fast, whereas... If you're hucking all your weight forward, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. So there's a lot of other people on site there that um, experienced that with me. Yeah, and for the longest time, it just it, it tore me up inside. You know, I felt horribly, and that was a huge motivation. Actually, guilt, yeah, um, motivated me to get back into the mountains. My desire to be in the mountains was stronger, but uh, the impact that I had on everybody um, just tore me up for yeah. a long time. And then I've come, I've come to a realization recently actually that like that was that's their story and they were meant to be there for what that is they you know as as much as it was a shit experience for everybody and it was yeah. my fault for inflicting that they were meant to be there they were meant to go through that and for some kids it really messed them up yeah other kids it messed them up and they moved forward um and everybody whether they were there that day or not um <clears throat> they felt the impact the ski community is pretty tight and that's mm. what i love about it do you um, mean that uh that like some of the kids they see this and that's like that could have done it in for their uh, yeah for their you know career. like they may ski still but they've never skied the same their goals shifted immediately mm -hmm. um and uh yeah yeah I don't, like like when you see like when someone sees like a, a horrific car accident where the car's been torn apart and it can just go i don't want to drive anymore you know Ooh. the trauma is real yeah Ooh. you know physically i experienced something but the trauma for everybody it was very real and um, everybody is given their own unique life experience mm -hmm. to work through. Yeah. And uh, I just, I was very selfish in thinking, oh, it's all my fault. I shouldn't have done it. Like, 
yeah, you know, I made a lot of mistakes that day mm-hmm. for sure. But they were meant to be there and see what they saw and be a part of the story for what it was. It yeah. might be a bit of a, a dumb question considering like how much, um, how many other feelings and emotions and, and how traumatic that experience was in general. But was there, do you recall any part of you that was like embarrassed like right after that moment and like seeing everybody kind of around you and knowing like I was just fucking told don't do a front flip like it or 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 was guilt the sort of overlaying kind of uh, emotion man there? I bet it was just such a melting pot of emotion yeah. of fear embarrassment awkwardness uncomfortable yeah my initial reaction to the situation just to break the tension up a little bit was humor mm and uh, it's been said time and again, laughter is the best medicine. So here I am like in a very uncomfortable position. And, you know, the fear of the unknown was definitely consuming. Like what, what, what is this? Is this temporary? Is this permanent? Um, and then, you know, good fortune, if you will, came into play and a very attractive ski patroller stepped into the situation and she went to stabilize me and she's like, Josh, whatever you do, don't move. And I just looked at her and I gave her a big smile. I said, don't worry, I can't. And she smiles back. She's like, what? Like, no, not a good time for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Had I only known it would have taken this to make you smile, I would have done it a long time. Uh. <laughs> and now she's really set back. And everyone's just kind of like, it just it completely melted yeah. the energy of, <laughs> of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It that's was, so interesting. I mean, because that's, I, you know, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Like, we're trying to take something that's that's everyone usually approaches and goes, Oh my God. Oh my God. This is sad. And we go, Hey, let's throw some laughter in there and see if, see if you see can, what see if you can uh, take your guard down a little yeah. bit and, and, and approach this with a little bit more ease. Think of your favorite one hit wonder or that overpriced toy. Your parents would never let you have or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now, what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Um, yeah. I would like to fast forward just a little bit. We're we're about we're about half to, at half time right now, and uh, I know that. Uh, so, when we first met, you were actually giving a, a speech at a at a, a pretty large fundraising uh, event, and you're you know watching you get up there and and essentially take a a, a crowd of upwards of six hundred, maybe more people in a room, and and having uh, the ability to to literally have that silence where everybody is holding on to every single word um, is very impressive. And I think that your story, it, 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 uh, the ups and downs of your story are, play a big role in, in just a- allowing for that space for people to be really in, interested and, and um, engaged. Um, and we haven't even touched on the fact that... Um, that Although that crash kind of ended your uh, two-legged skiing career, it most definitely did not end your skiing career or your life on the mountain. Um, so why don't you tell us about, um, about the process of like getting back on the slopes? 
mm. after that, after, after coming to some sort of recovery? Yeah, let's just, I'll, I'll kind of punch a small chapter of my story as quick as I can. Here yeah, just yeah, to give please do. a bit of an update. Mm-hmm. Um, so my accident happens. They rushed me down to the hospital and um, they had done kind of a preliminary at ski patrol. And I was like, oh man, you know, this is, this is heavy. I can't, I literally can't feel anything. And I could see uh, with the patrollers and the dock on the hill that it was looking pretty grim. And uh, a mantra came to mind, and it was like, everything happens for a reason. Nothing happens we're not strong enough to deal with. And everything in life had prepared me for that moment. Boom, I get down to the hospital, and I'm just hopeful that it's not going to be as bad as as what it appears to be. Doc comes in after reviewing the x-rays, and he's like, bro. Um, He didn't say bro. (laughs) But it felt felt like a bro moment. What's going on, man? (laughs) Um, No, he was so rad. Uh, You could tell that he was just raw in emotion, but he he knew what was up. He knew that I dislocated my back, severed spinal cord, going to be a paraplegic. And uh, he, he basically just said, you're going to rock the world from a wheelchair. And that's the biggest difference you'll experience in life right now is just the way you get around. And before you know it, we're going to have you back in a sit ski and uh, in the mountains with all your friends. And uh, he obviously knew that I was a skier, mm-hmm. but I don't yeah. think he understood how profound that statement was for me. Because mm. um, I just live to move in the mountains. You know, it brings me uh, the environment, um, the solitude, the peace, Mm -hmm. the personal exploration and inquiry that um, a person can be exposed to in those environments has been huge, um, Mm. very much in my life. That's that's the coolest thing that that I've ever heard with somebody getting like a a diagnosis or or, um, an update on their their condition, because like oftentimes when we when we do this podcast, we have conversations with people, they always talk about how the doctors come in and present uh, their situation to them. And Oftentimes it's it's kind of in a in a way that didn't quite work, um, but that that ability for him to kind of connect with you on a personal level and and use use skiing as a way to say like hey like you're gonna we're gonna have you back on the mountain as soon as possible mm-hmm. like that's that that gave me goosebumps when when you said that because I feel like that's such an amazing act of compassion and amazing way to present such a difficult circumstance to someone mm-hmm. that 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 piece of what you said about the solitude and the self-inquiry i mean i i my love for snowboarding and being on the mountain and being in the trees runs really really deep and i i have this really really specific um image in my mind of being up in the trees in revelstoke just beneath the alpine in the north bowl and and being in the trees and in the bowl, it was like 80 kilometer hour winds, like just absolutely gnarly winds up, up top. And then you get into the trees and the trees have completely sheltered you and the snow is falling so softly and the silence is almost deafening and you're by yourself. And it's just like, you are the only person in the universe at that place. And you can be in such such amazing solitude and it creates an amazing environment for um to to learn about yourself um when you said that i was just like ah. <laughs> just like mm-hmm. went to that place mm-hmm. it's amazing the diversity of experience that you can have when you turn down the volume and mm-hmm. slow things down a little bit and just being outside provides that in a, in a way that is um very hard to replicate if if at all yeah so 
nutshell, doctor gives me hope and hope is an incredibly powerful tool in creating change. So, you know, I got this motivation, something to look forward to and looking back on it. And, you know, in the last 12, 13 years, I've more than fulfilled all of my objectives in skiing and things that I wanted to accomplish and the dream of being a pro skier and being in magazines and films and traveling the world and making a living out of it. But, um, I forget where I was going with that. I had something really great to say. It just kind of gapped. I was like literally just reminiscing on the beauty of, um, ah, nice. ah, <laughs> Daniel son, <laughs> let it go. And it comes back. Um, I, I never lost my identity. Right. I think that's, um, a big thing for a lot of people that endure, um, some sort of traumatic shift in their life. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it may be, is you lose a part of your identity and, and my identity was, and, and is a skier. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the examples that I use as I opened up at the fundraiser in Summerside was um, the the transition that I'm facing now in stepping away from sport as a full-time occupation mm-hmm. has been far more difficult than acquiring a spinal cord injury. Wow. Um, because I'm stepping away from 20 years of identity of being a mountain kid, ski bum, mm-hmm. and exploring new options and opening up a new chapter, which... Um, for the first time in two years, I, uh, retired full-time sport in 2014. So first time in two years, I'm starting to get excited again. Yeah. And, um, Jerry, you're talking about, uh, a few things, you know, the, the diversity of my story and I, mm-hmm. in, in a 50 minute nutshell, I talked a lot about a pendulum shift. Um, I've had an ability to experience incredible highs, right? Like I skied for Canada in both Vancouver and Sochi Paralympics and, uh, I was able to tap into a more primal and uh, universal energy in those experiences, which allowed me to perform beyond my capacity. Cool. Represent my country very well Mm -hmm. and um, create some pretty cool stories along the way. So there's that aspect of it, which is like a really, really high. And um, even, even there's like some of the filming stuff I did caught the attention of global media. And with that, you know, again, the high is just getting higher and higher and higher. Um, so I'm very fortunate in so many ways to have been able to realize so many dreams and goals and passions, <coughs> blah, blah, blah. But with that, I find <clears throat> my experience has been a lot of polarity. So pendulum gets up and then there's going to be time and space where the pendulum goes down. Oh yeah. And with that comes uh, a return to alcoholism, substance <laughs> abuse and depression yeah. and something that I've been, um, mm-hmm. sub- I don't want to say subjected to, but a part of my life story has is really uh, lingered in those realms, and uh, it's it's a place that I'm actually more comfortable in the shadow than I am in the light. Mm. Um, and is this is this coming as a result of your stepping away from from your sport career? Is this in the last two years, or is this something that kind of uh, accumulated or kind of came in and out in the years after your injury? You know, actually, it, most of the shadow existed from my earliest memories to the point of impact on my accident. And then something shifted. It was a very, very deep and profound shift, um, not only in awareness of how my actions affect other people, because there's a huge ripple effect of my um, spinal cord injury throughout the entire ski community, but it was the first time that I felt loved, like really, truly, or that I allowed myself to feel loved. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you grow up, you guys are obviously good buddies. You can be complete assholes to each other and that's a love language yeah right (laughs) um 
And that was the only thing that I experienced growing up is like people that were sincerely assholes to me that wanted to reduce me probably to elevate themselves or whatever their intentions were. I'll never know. And it doesn't matter to the people that were actually my friends continue to just be those same assholes, but I couldn't really differentiate okay. um, brotherly love and, you know, the kids that were just shitty in school, right? Yeah. Part of that yeah. adolescent phase growing up. Just, uh, just kind of like, I mean, Josh, you mentioned that, that like a lot of that darkness ha- was before your accident and then after you were starting to find more light. So, um, a ton. Or, it was, it wasn't it, just a little bit. It was like the floodgates were open. So because- I, and I, I guess, well, I, I want to kind of tie this back into it, but you, you said something that kind of like struck me was that you said in the liquor store a couple of days before your accident, you saw the, the, that guy in a wheelchair and kind of like turned away from him. And now kind of being, being that person now in a wheelchair that's going to places like liquor stores and, and, or, or maybe not liquor stores anymore, but, but, uh, anywhere and seeing people in public and, and having them maybe feel that discomfort around you. Like how does, how does that make you feel? And now going from like that, that dark period into the light, like how has that changed your perspective on, on that same kid that you would have seen in, in in that space before? Um, you know, at first, I kind of liked to mess around with people a little bit that were uncomfortable around me. I just play on that, and um, it was my own internal way of managing the discomfort that came with being in a chair and being um, judged upon your capacity, upon your physical capacity. Um, but through sport, I've been so exposed to we are um, more than, and it's ironic that it came through sport, but we are more than our physical body, right? We have so much mm-hmm. more to offer. Yeah. And... I don't know if it's compassion or what, but whenever I have an opportunity to be around somebody who's just uncomfortable or won't make eye contact, and it happens a lot more in the city because I'm anonymous. In a small town, a lot of people know yeah. who I am, so I don't experience that a lot in, in a smaller community because they're like, you know, you've done all these things in sport right. and you've lived out your dreams. So they, they look at me with maybe adoration or respect or just like, wow, we have a chance to meet a local celebrity. So... Um, but when I come to Vancouver or any big city for that matter, I'm anonymous. And so people are downcast and look away. So I just, I, I give an opportunity to make eye contact. Like I look up, I don't shy away from that moment. Yeah. I look Mm -hmm. up and I want to see the humanity in the person. Like I want to look at you in the eyes, (coughs) even if it's just for a quick moment and just recognize that you're there in that space and we're sharing that moment and then move on. And I think a lot can be communicated through eye contact. Like Mm -hmm. if they're willing to engage, then then we have a moment of just like, and then just carry forward. Mm. I mean, just like that experience this morning when you're getting out of the cab, it wasn't a wheelchair accessible cab. Like what, what like the, that experience of being with, of being with like a cabbie that is totally down to like, help, like sort your wheelchair out, put your wheels on and off and like help you out. When well, you're the cab. I can, like, I conditioned him to that moment. I called the cab company and I specifically don't ask for a wheelchair cab because they're just archaic and they take forever. <laughs> and with the little mix-up this morning, we didn't have time to yeah. deal with, well, the wheelchair cab needs prior reservations, so we're looking at about a 45-minute to one-hour wait. And then they Fuck. come in there, and you know what? They're, they're, they're ready for any sort of wheelchair. Yeah. And the reality is with uh, any sort of condition, you know, you might be really limited in your mobility and um, need all the resources. Right. Um, I'm pretty active, pretty mobile. I call for a cab, and he was super good. He helped me with my bags. 
And then he's like, so how does the chair work? And he was very open to the situation. Yeah. Um, because he had to really, yeah. like I put that on him. Um, by not asking for a wheelchair cab. And now he's a little more familiar with the variety of humans that may need a chair to get around. You know, he's going to be well-equipped to take care of somebody with very low mobility. Mm. And he might be a little more open-minded to somebody with um, a little more mobility. And, and yeah. I've, I've been in, in the city for the past week, and I've really enjoyed um, some of the observations of how people look at me. So great question to that. Um, and perceive me as just a person that's physically different. Mm -hmm. um, so I enjoy that opportunity to experience that. And then also how you're treated by transit, right? Like mm. um, just yesterday, it was so not funny. Um, I get on the bus and it's a full, like it's the morning rush. And uh, I'm, I'm really amused by getting on transit because I don't have that opportunity. And so every day I'm just going back and forth to my project. Right. Um, and the lady's like, everybody off the bus. We've got a wheelchair coming. And, the, and I'm just like, <laughs> You're like oh, for so fuck's sakes. Now the bus driver is completely isolating me and getting, uh, and getting people that are busy, like trying to get to work. You know, yeah. This is their daily commute. And getting them off the bus because it was packed. And here's you just like, sorry, like, I'm fucking sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, internally my dialogue yeah. is like this. Is, you've just made me so incredibly uncomfortable. You're, yeah. You're stripping away my dignity yeah. by every yeah. word that you speak. Mm. And in my internal dialogue, it's like, you stupid <coughs> bitch. Like, what? And then I'm just thinking, all right, you're just cranky. Your life is shitty. Like, that's an, I, I can't take that as my problem right now. Like, you don't love your life. That's your problem. Mm -hmm. You're projecting it onto me, so it's becoming my issue. I react to it with, like, some deep-rooted anger, and I'm yeah. just like, holy shit. Like, and she's like, now we've got to strap you down. I'm like, no, I'm not Hannibal Lecter. You're not strapping me down. I'm like, hold on to the bar. Everybody back on the bus. You keep driving. Trust me. I run this bus every day. You sit down. She's like, I'm liable. I'm like, no, you're not. You just drive. Just you're, you're killing me right now. Oh, <laughs> like, so this turned man. into like a fucking ordeal. It actually was a thing. And, you know, and I'm trying to like <laughs> diffuse the situation, you know, respecting her job and yeah. her situation. I'm like, trust me. I'm holding onto the bar. I'm pinched in here. Everybody back on the bus. Like, everybody stay calm. Everybody stay <laughs> yeah. calm. Yeah. Like, we're good. We're good. We're good. I'm, I'm also a human being in the same experience as you. I'm getting around a little bit different. That's it. Like, let's get over it. So she sits down. There's this really weird tension on the bus. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of imagining like, oh you. God, like, God, I'm imagining you like Chris Farley in uh, in uh, Billy Madison when he's like, "Good, great, grand, everybody on the bus." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. But she had the ability in in a very very quick moment to reduce me to feeling like nothing. Um, and how common is that? Like, is that something that you deal with on a weekly basis, uh, on a monthly basis? Like, um, just like, you know, I, I mean, obviously that, that she doesn't know you, she no. doesn't know your ability to, to like handle yourself. Right. And, and I guess that that's, uh, like, I don't know if that would be considered ignorance on her part. Um, or would it be like, you know what I mean? Mm, no, I would say she's just more of a stressed individual. Yeah, she's and stressed she was projecting out. Projecting that yeah. jack on me, and for me, it was just like it was really interesting um, to not get overly involved in the story. Yeah, but sink into the emotion that was released when she did that. I'm like, okay, so I, I've, I've clearly got a lot of anger built up. So why did I react so strongly? And then I just, I, I literally allowed the emotion to be without being like you dumb bitch like mm -hmm. I, I was so upset with her but I'm like I, I'm not really upset with you like that's your own shit like you're you made me uncomfortable like why do I have the capacity to be so angry and and what was it about that mm -hmm. moment that revealed it so then I just sat with the emotion and it naturally diffused itself rather than continuing to perpetuate the story of 
a shitty bus driver and how hard it is to get around in the city. And, and I did also have a bit of an appreciation for people that live that all the time. Mm-hmm. With That's a disability fucking awesome. In, 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 yeah. in Where does this Give come me that from? word, anonymity? An- there we go. An- an- where does this come from, this ability to... Um, you know, there's 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 two qualities of you that I've noticed out of the short time that I've spent around you, that uh, a I I I um I really appreciate and and I think that uh, I want to glean more of that from you. The the first one is uh, and and we'll touch I'll touch on this one first because it's it's fresh it's right now. This ability to like be so um, aware within the moment. Like you, you, and I don't know if this is something that like is happening and then you kind of reflect on it later, but the way you speak, it, it seems like you are, you're, you're pretty able to like take in what's happening in that moment and really kind of assess, okay, what are the pieces that are happening here? Like you said, like, and then I realized, wait, no, this isn't, this isn't her. Like, I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at the situation. Like, does this something that you've always been like this or is it, is it a byproduct of, going through a really traumatic event like severing your spinal cord. I think I've always been really sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and environment. Yeah. I think I've been around some pretty great people that have influenced me, and I've always been um, pretty particular to the people that I surround myself with because mm-hmm. I've been ostracized, I've been abused, I've been picked on for a lot of my development, you know, my adolescent phase. Mm-hmm. So I know the person I become when I'm around shitty people and I become really shitty and then of competitive nature, I, you know, I work hard to be super shitty and, uh, I found that I could reduce people in a couple of words. If mm-hmm. I wanted to, I could quickly identify a weakness and make that observation and make a critical comment at the right <coughs> time and be a fucking dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I was like, oh, I don't really, that's, it's not making me feel any better. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it gives you a short burst of power to reduce somebody and then the whole room kind of laughs in pretend like maybe discomfort or awkwardness, or maybe they're also just in a place where they find hurting people is, Mm -hmm. um, is a good thing. Uh, Long and short of it is as I made a conscious effort to surround myself with great people that have really good global insights and have influenced me. I want to piggyback on the first one before you get to the second one. And uh, I'm just wondering if there's any, any kind of, um, feeling that you feel like you need to live up to being a role model because of the situation, um, that you're in the, the adoration that comes from, um, being a Paralympian Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of, because I know that personally in doing this podcast, um, I never feel like I'm being someone that I'm not, but I feel like I want to bring up my best qualities for the benefit of others. So I'm wondering if, if piggybacking on Jeremy's first point, if you ever feel like that self-awareness is, is a reflection of you trying to be a better role model for other people because of the situation that you've um, ended up in. Yeah. Um, great question again. And uh, for a period of time, I was very protected. There was two very different versions of me. There was the public version and then there was the blackout drunk version. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the blackout would definitely express a lot of things that were not um, rated for television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so there's a huge polarity in that as well, right? You know, there was the conservative version that would go out and represent my brand, my vision and my values, and do everything I could to leave that unscathed. And then, of course, suppressing my true nature, which is just to be a cheeky monkey and playful and... <laughs> not give a fuck. Like I, I really, 
um, I, I care deeply about people. So the part of me that was hurtful when I was younger was a reaction to being hurt. Um, I don't care to hurt people. But at the same time, I don't care to suppress my nature of making critical mm. observations of situations or things. Um, and yeah, became highly protected um, because I would go to schools and I would like communicate a message of hope or um, whatever it might be, living your dream, your passion. A lot of it was based around my intuition, that, that body feeling that I had coming into the jump, blah, blah, blah. So there, there's an opportunity to completely discredit what you're doing if... Uh, you become a complete asshole. And um, not to say that my nature is to be a complete asshole, but right. there, there's yeah. a fine line because I live protected and then also like wide open. Mm. So uh, I go to therapy. Like I'm, I'm trying to find that nice healthy medium where yeah. I can be my authentic self mm-hmm. and um, not suppress that nature, but yet still be, um, um, I don't want to say respectable because like what you think of me is up to you. Like I don't really care. And I've never really cared, but then suddenly when I was in the media, I had to care. So it is, right. it's definitely yeah. a difficult balancing act on, um, you know, what you project. And, and with that, you know, I became a purveyor of positivity as well. Um, everybody's like, dude, you responded to your, your situation so well, you're amazing and blah, blah, blah. And like, um, that's true. I have, and I did, but there's also a part of me that's, you know, like I'm bummed out. And I'm sad and I'm down um, and I'm at the grocery store and I'm just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. People are like, how's it going? I'm like, oh, it's great, man. I'm like, meanwhile, I'm like, I am struggling so much yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so then I've actually gone the last couple of years um, into a darker place and have fully taken ownership of that. People are like, how's it going? I'm like, not really well. And now I'm telling people stories of my life and it's been heavy, man. Like the three patriarchs in my family all have terminal illness. So my dad and my two uncles, and they're, they're looking at a very shortened lifespan right now. That's hard. That's heavy on my heart. Um, I sustained another injury to my back. I came up short on a road gap and uh, completely shattered my low back in January of this year. What the fuck? So like six months of being on the couch. So inactivity to move and move in the mountains has... Um, allowed a lot of time and space for the darkness to reveal itself. Yeah. So I've actually started to identify with the darkness. Like now I'm projecting my images like in the shadow. So I'm no longer that perceived pre- like purveyor positivity. I'm yeah. like, I'm now I have to be careful of not being over consumed or allowing my identity to be on the dark side of things. Right. So mm-hmm. it is, but also not to ignore it because then that's not, that's not doing yeah. yourself justice. And it's not, it leads to more issues, mm-hmm. uh, mental, mental issues to, to, to come up against later when you, when you push that stuff down. Totally. One thing that I, that I, that, that came to me when you're talking about your authentic self and what you're, when you're telling the story about the girl on the bus and how she made you feel and this ability to kind of, it's, it's something that I always go back to in the, in the, in my, in my life as a, a teacher of yoga and a, and a studier of philosophy. Uh, and this always going back to the philosophy, always going back to rooting back to how do we discover and then access our, our authentic self, our true self, our, our you know, consciousness for a, for a more flighty word. Um, and all of the practices that we do, to basically culminate in the ability to experience life and have a buffer zone between our experience and our reaction to whatever it is. And it seems like that's kind of what, I'm, what I've gathered from the, this, these little specks of information you're giving, like a, a really great ability to see, take in, analyze, and then react accordingly. 
Mm. It seems like that's that, that's what that, that was what that experience on the bus was showing me. Like you mm. could have just exploded and just <laughs> yeah. it just ruined this woman's day. But <laughs> pump the brake, analyze, objectify. Pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Observe, yeah, and allow, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not a hard. That's not a hard skill to come, or that's a hard skill to come by. Yeah, I think it's it like is. A smartphone, like Apple, is really good at making a very, very um, complicated thing, a phone or a computer, incredibly simple. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I've got a three-year-old at home, and she's fully fluent on the phone. Right. She can grab it, swipe it, go into photos, go into videos do her thing and it took her no time at all to figure it out yeah. I am not tech savvy it's an easy phone to use like yeah. that's the beauty of it right and of course something like observing and allowing very very simple but to get to a point of simplicity you've got to work through complexity oh yeah mm-hmm. the Thank second you. the second thing that I that I admire about you and and I, I've noticed this here in this conversation and and I've noticed it. I, I really noticed it in your speech at the at that gala uh, in PEI. Is your ability to be humble? Um, you know, the, your ability to look at yourself and and own the fact that you have shortcomings. You know, like you you you. One of the first things you said in the conversation, like when we started talking about skiing, you were like, "I had no style. I you know I wasn't a, a particularly like." amazing skier, but I, but I had balls, you know, um, in your speech, you know, and, and you've set it up really well and, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but, um, going into the fact that, you know, for your, uh, trying to medal at the, at the, at the Paralympics and, and the way it's all set up, it's like, Oh my God, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to get this medal. And we're watching this video of you coming down and then right before you cross the finish line, you fucking bail. And it's like, oh, what the fuck? He didn't do it. Like, he set us up. He set us up to, like, that he was going to meddle. He was going to get that. He was going to get what he was, like, working for his whole life. And then and then he doesn't do it. And and you, and you then that video ends and you come back and you go, yeah, I didn't do it, you know? And that's And that's life. And it's like... I don't know. I, I didn't respect process, right? I was, yeah. I was focused on outcome. I was looking at the finish line rather than the moment. That's right. And uh, it's easy to do. We do it often, I think, <clears throat> in, in um, so many environments. It's, it's, we're conditioned for that. Um, it's good to have goals, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you should have a bit of a direction as to where you want to go. Um, but skiing for me has always been a process. I've always just enjoyed being in the mountains, moving around and I've exploited the opportunity just to play every day. And, uh, in that particular moment, you know, it was a peak moment at the games. Um, I was very confident and, and there was a shift in me. I wanted to win, which was, um, an uncommon and uh, slightly uncomfortable feeling. And the uncomfort came from this primal, like, Who's the man? I'm the man. Yeah. Whereas before, I'm like, ah, I'm super lucky to ski because that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of great people that inspire me in the sport and that have allowed me to become the skier that I have been, whether it's coaches or fellow skiers or whatever it may be. And that would be my natural kind of go-to is like the experience as a whole has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got into a pretty primal like, this is me, this is my time. And, and um, uh, I just uh, got a little bit ahead of myself and... And what, a, what an amazing learning experience, you know, and to be able to actually take 
something from that. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, I, uh, are you still speaking? Are you still, are you still, uh, you know, doing, I mean, you're here speaking, you're, you're speak. that's, that, that's what you are doing. You're sharing your story and I feel like you will continue to share your story. And I hope you do. Um, I hope you do continue to do that because I feel like there's a lot that people can learn from you. And I know that there's a lot that I've taken just from this fucking one hour conversation. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the story that I have is, is an observation of kind of the life that I've experienced. Um, there's been a lot of wisdom that's been passed on, you know, whether it's from, um, just self-reflection contemplation or Mm -hmm. experience itself. Um, yeah, I've been a reluctant storyteller for about 10 years now. Um, and it's it's something I, I absolutely love to do. I'm really passionate about it. I love mm-hmm. the opportunity to connect and to share and to have conversations with people. Um, the reluctant part is like I've kind of never wanted to take ownership of being a storyteller. Because right. we talked about Chris Farley a minute ago. That's what I think of. Like, what do you do for a living is a question I get whenever I fly um, across the border. And I'm mm. like, oh, I don't know. Like I was a skier for a while. And, I <laughs> and then they're like, oh, you're not fucking coming into this country, buddy. <laughs> well, you don't know. Like, like to say that I'm a motivational speaker. Yeah. I think of Chris Farley as Matt Foley on Saturday Night Live. And I'm like, I live in a van down by the river. Yeah. And it yeah. like kills that part. But it's just like the whole motivational speaking <laughs> ticket is, uh, it, it, it makes me laugh. Yeah. And that's a good thing, but I've been reluctant to take ownership of it. And it's something, okay, yeah. like I've done it passionately for a while now because I just I love connecting with kids in schools or yeah. corporate groups or whatever it might be. And um, yeah, now like a couple of years out of um, a deep reflecting, uh, reflecting phase, um, I am so excited to be a storyteller and, yeah. and put more energy into how I tell stories, yeah. where I tell them from, the different messages that maybe I want to communicate. And um, yeah, I'm going through a full rebranding fa- uh, phase from being like focused as an athlete to, you know what, like, let's give this a go. Let's, um, yeah. let's see um, how far and, and how wide I can connect with mm. different people in, in the, it's a beautiful art. Storytelling's amazing. Yeah, I, and yeah. I think one of the root insecurities I've had in, in not putting effort into it. And it's a fine line, right? You've got to put effort into what you're doing, but not too much, mm-hmm. um, is, is, is rooted in the insecurity. I wanted people to want me. I wouldn't ever tell people that I was a speaker because I wanted people to find me on their own. I wanted to be recognized for that. I didn't want to be taking ownership of what I was doing or trying. Like it feels less if you if you contact somebody and then they agree to come and take you on. It's like, oh well, they didn't seek me out or like there's like it's like there's like something less about it for some reason. You don't want to beg for their for the business from yeah. them. I don't want to appear to be putting effort into it. I just want to be wanted, and that's just yeah. such a weird thing. Um, but just identifying with it has been a huge release. And, um, I, like, what a great opportunity, man. Like, mm-hmm. I get to come hang out with you guys yeah. and spend, like, some quality time. And, and who knows how many people are going to listen to this and maybe pick up something along the way about the story of hope. Yeah. And you know what? You know, I know we're running, like, low on the buzzer, but I just have to take a minute and just uh, step into the love story as well. You know, totally. we're talking about storytelling. What yeah. I do. Like, yeah, please. My story is one of love and hope. The doctor instilled hope, and he gave me an opportunity to look ahead. And... um Right, right after my accident, a girl stepped into my life, and she was definitely a girl that I was super into before my accident. And 
she did like one of the most selfless things that I could imagine. She stopped what she was doing. She was um, in the process of her yoga teacher training. She quit her job and bought a one-way bus ticket to come to the city to visit me in the hospital to be with a friend in need. And uh, a week later, I was like, um, would you be my girlfriend? She's like, what took you so long to ask? I'm like, well, last time I tried before my accident, you kind of like flat out said no. So I'm a uh, and totally like respected her decision on that. Like I was on a path that was not really conducive for um, the the direction she was moving. Yeah. Uh, five years later, my wife and no uh, now whatever, 12, 13 years later, um, we have a three-year-old and she's eight months pregnant. Um, Dude, she has congrats. given so much of herself to me to allow me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, she was that loving partner that endured the process of the loss of my sexuality and helped me to not only regain that, but to like transcend it and move into a much deeper place. And we were intimate before my accident. So we actually have that point of reference of what able-bodied sexuality looked like for both of us and what this new world looks like. So we actually have a pretty healthy benchmark as to um, the difference and the gains and and the challenges and everything like that. Um, But like, it's a story of love. Like she literally, when, when I was going through the, the hospital and the rehabilitation phase, I wasn't thinking about shit, you know, what happened? This is terrible. I was like, I am madly in love. Yeah. And for most people, I think when you have a partner or somebody that you're courting or trying to impress, you step up your game. Oh yeah. You're a little (laughs) bit better, you know, you're like, and, and so in skiing, a lot of the times, like the things that I would do was to impress my girl. Like, you know, I like, I'm a little bit intimidated right now. I'm not sure I want to go off this feature, but like, you know, like, yeah, damn right. You know, like, and she would push me too. She'd be like, come on, you can do it. And I know that she would never want me to get hurt. So yeah. she would push me through uh, fear mm. from a place of love. And then I'm like, no way, like, this isn't doable, but I'm like, conscious like she doesn't want me to get hurt so okay so i go do it and then like what a phenomenal release yeah to overcome that barrier and experience potential um alongside somebody that you just absolutely adore uh that's actually a really awesome segue i've kind of been sitting on this uh on this concept for a while because i feel like it's it it's it's really uh applicable here and now and as i kind of as a kind of uh built in my head i realized it's actually really applicable to every single conversation we've ever had but um, I was listening to uh, to Joe Rogan a couple weeks ago when he was talking to Dan Bilzerian, and, and at the end of the episode, uh, they were sharing. He was sharing a story, <clears throat> a story about resilience of guys in the army that have that have uh, that have sustained injuries that have that have you know totally messed them up, or, or and they've lost limbs or whatever it, the story is. And talking to a lot of these guys, and um, and as a result of that, he kind of came up with this. He came up with this story, and it was the, the story of the Chinese farmer where so the there's a chinese farmer and he's in this small village and, he, and his his prize horse runs away and everybody in the town says oh my god that's so terrible your horse ran away and he says maybe and then the next day his prize horse comes back and he comes back with a herd of seven wild horses and the town goes oh my god that's amazing your horse came back and he brought seven wild horses with him that's amazing maybe and then the next day, his son goes out and takes one of the horses, and he goes on a ride, and his son falls off the horse and breaks his leg, and the t- everybody in the town says, oh, my God, that's terrible. Your son broke his leg. And he said, well, maybe. And then the next day, the, uh, the, the army rolls through, and they're, they're enlisting people to go to war, and they pass right by the child because he has a broken leg, and they go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Your son doesn't have to go to war. And he says, well, maybe. 
And the point being that these sequence of events all fluctuating from negative to positive don't necessarily have that same effect as they go through on in the future. Mm. And something that you can initially say, well, this is positive, it, might, it could lead, like, lead, like winning the lottery, it could lead to the worst addictions and habits of someone's life. Or losing the ability to, to move from the, from the pelvis down or under the pelvis down being negative maybe in that very moment but then also then giving back to you so much like this ability to experience uh relationships sexual relationships on an intimate level providing this experience to connect with this 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 woman on a different in a different way that leads you to be together and have a a a child together Mm. just this amazing like and, and kind of going back to that philosophy of creating the buffer between experiencing life and reacting to it because we don't know what that experience is going to bring as we go through in the future. And I think that you exemplify that really well. And I think that a lot of the people that we talk to do. And, and, uh, and I just fucking love that story. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. And you guys have positioned yourself really well to, um, be around great people. Like back to the point of, you know, you're a product of your environment you know, mm-hmm. like the people that you surround yourself with will effectively, um, be a part of your collective sub or unconscious Mm. And um, so why not make good choices mm-hmm. and be around great people and be in good environments like the solitude of coming down Revelstoke oh. and burying yourself in the trees and, and feeling the power of silence and uh, the lessons that the trees have, right? Like, it's a funny thing, you know, it's, I was reading a book, uh, The Golden Spruce by John Valiant, and uh, he talks about like how so many people connect with being in nature and how they feel this unexplainable calm or quiet or peace. And he's like, but the truth of it is, is the trees are savage. It is constant life and death. And they're fighting to the death with each other for that next branch to achieve sunlight Mm -hmm. because without sunlight, it's not going to survive. You know, that whole photosynthesis, synthesis thing, like Mm -hmm. they are and like branches are dying all around them. And they're just like, they don't give a shit. They're like, it is like a highly competitive environment, but yet Mm -hmm. we're in the trees and we feel peace and solitude. Mm -hmm. But yet the nature of a tree is to survive and Mm -hmm. survive at all costs. Um, So it's kind of an ironic juxtaposition of that environment. And it's like, it's also (laughs) true to our nature. You know, we are primal, you know, we need to survive. And, um, but how can we do that in um, a positive and peaceful way is, is a great question, a great inquiry we can just ask ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there is so much more we can unpack um, in this conversation. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, uh, we we, we literally have to, have to wrap it up. Um, um, I hope that someday our cro- our paths cross again with a set of mics, and we can sit down and 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 get into to more of, yeah. of your stories and and uh, yeah, just learn some more because this has been awesome. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I love that. You know, and this is tip of the iceberg. And I think mm-hmm. after we all have a chance to decompress and, and reflect on this, then um, the depth of this conversation and the value of it for for the four of us at this table right now, but potentially for the listeners as well, yeah. um, could be amazing. So I look forward to when we do. Sweet. Totally. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Um, it means the world to us. And if you've got time, uh, why not head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already, and uh, leave a rating and a review. Th- those are huge for us. It keeps us on the 
on the charts so that people can hear the conversations that we have, just like this amazing one right now. Um, and we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, lots of fun, uh, entertaining <laughs> shit that we put up on there. And uh, we are also looking for your support. If you're listening to this and you enjoyed this conversation, number one, share it with someone. And number two, go on over to www.patreon.com slash sickboy. Um, this conversation would not have been possible. This trip to Vancouver would not have been possible if it wasn't for all of our Patreon supporters. So um, we love each and every one of you. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.